0: Welcome to Judgment Day, the film podcast that pits the films you're passionate about against Terminator 2, and I'm your host, Michael Carroll. Our topic today is fieldwork, and my guest is Matthew McLaughlin. Hello, Matthew. How are
1: you? Hi, Michael. I'm great. Thanks for having me on.
0: Um, Matthew, you're, uh, we have a very unsexy title here, fieldwork, um, but um, it's a very sexy subject.
1: It definitely can be. Absolutely. <laughs> I can tell you from personal <laughs> experience, I'm sure we're going to get into it. Yeah,
0: um, what what uh, what is fieldwork What is what, when I say that, what does that mean to you?
1: Like what does fieldwork mean to me? Uh, no, no. What, well, what does
0: fieldwork mean like <laughs> according to like Webster's Thesaurus Dictionary?
1: Um, well, I would I would guess that it means uh, in the dictionary, uh, the act of performing science while out in nature, something along those lines. Yeah. So um, in my line of work, it typically means uh, working with wildlife or um, just general environmental concerns relating to wildlife. And, and what is your line of work, Matthew? Uh, I work at the Minnesota Zoo. Uh, my position is kind of an interesting one. I do all of the, or my department does uh, all of the back-of-house work for all of our large aquatic systems. So a lot of aquatic engineering, a lot of water chemistry, uh, microbiology testing, uh, computer controls. Uh, it's a very kind of strange combination of technical fields rolled into one job, uh, but it's, uh, it's something that I, I really enjoy doing. And while my, my primary uh, career isn't field work because of uh, the facility that I, I work for, uh, I've had a lot of opportunities to participate in, in, in what I guess I'm truly passionate about, which is wildlife conservation Um, And I've had a number of really interesting uh, field experiences in my career working at the Minnesota Zoo.
0: And just backing up a second, I'm asking you this um, legitimately uh, not sure what to say because, full disclosure, you are my cousin and you talk to me about stuff in your life and like a lot of people I'm related to it just doesn't stick in my brain at all. All I know is that you tend to work with like, um, well, you called me one time. um, uh, We were one time you were telling me that you were driving by New York and I said, you know, that's fucked up, man. Why you should have stopped it and said, hello. Uh, You know, like I'm never in Minnesota. You're never in New York. Like why didn't you say anything? You said I had a hammerhead shark uh, in my truck that I was transporting. So.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a trip that I've taken a few times, and I always feel really guilty because, <laughs> as you well know, um, you... A few uh, times? And, uh, yeah, so working at the zoo and working in our aquatics department, uh, we it's a pretty small field, so everyone kind of knows everybody else. So we've I've got some friends that work at the Mystic Aquarium and the Norwalk Aquarium in Connecticut, as well as the New England Aquarium up in Boston. And... Uh, we try, well we try, we, we do a really good job um, and one of the misconceptions about the zoological field in general is that we're out there just snagging these wild animals um, to, to put on display which is, um, what we do is we work with uh, with those aquariums on the east coast and they work with local fishermen um, and when they will occasionally catch a shark accidentally um, in order to, uh, I guess convince those fishermen not to just kill the sharks, which I guess would often be their inclination, uh, since it, typically the, they catch the sharks because the sharks are preying on fish that they've already caught, and there's no real commercial value for them there. Uh, those, those aquariums out in Connecticut um, will give a small stipend to those fishermen to, to actually keep the sharks alive um, and to uh, collect them. Um, we then will work with those local aquariums Uh, and bring a couple of those sharks back to Minnesota um, where they can be, you know, um, they can live. They can have a good life with uh, a large aquarium to swim in. Um, We have some really amazing captive reproduction programs. Uh, We have some really amazing uh, wild release programs where we're actually breeding animals in captivity to restock some of these wild populations that are in decline. Uh, And then they basically act as ambassador animals. I mean, we use them for education programs um, and to, Teach, you know, the next generation why these animals are valuable, why they're worth conserving, uh, things like that. So, yeah, uh, several times in my career, I have driven from Minnesota out to Connecticut or Massachusetts to pick up a couple of these uh, sharks uh, in a specially designed transport vehicle um, and drive them back to Minnesota. And never talk to your cousin.
0: Um, (laughs) um, But that's fine. I have you here now. Uh, yes. I, had to, <laughs> I had to start a whole podcast so that we could...
1: <laughs> Just to get me on, yeah.
0: Tell me a little bit about the fields you've done research in.
1: Sure, so uh, probably my first real kind of foray into field work uh, was a project that I did locally with uh, some of the veterinary staff at the Minnesota Zoo as well as uh, some research, uh, researchers at the University of Minnesota. And we did a a big survey in Dakota County in Minnesota, which is where uh, the zoo is located. And we're looking at um, amphibian populations, specifically frogs, and some of the diseases that are um, really prevalent in some of those amphibian communities here and around the world. I think a lot of people know um, who understand, you know, wildlife ecology and and biology that uh, amphibians are are, tend to be kind of a, a species that is one of the first to decline if environmental factors Um, are not in their favor. So um, yeah, we did this really awesome field work project where we went out and surveyed local amphibians to see if they had uh, chytrid fungus and ronavirus, which are two of the kind of primary culprits in in global amphibian decline. And I designed for the project kind of a water quality testing parameter um, that just uh, give you a good idea of the quality of the, the water that these animals are living in. And we actually got that uh, paper published, which was amazing. That was uh, the first and only uh, time I've been a co-author on a scientifically published paper. But I'm, I'm still pretty proud of that one. Um, so, yeah, that was my, my first kind of real... And that,
0: f- that was in Minnesota? It was, okay. yep. Sorry, that, yeah, I, I, what were you going to say?
1: No, yeah, so that's, that was like my first real experience working. I'm, I'm not a, a, um, a, a trained scientist. I'm not a, um, I'm not a conservation biologist by trade. Um, But like I mentioned before, just working in that environment, I've had a lot of really amazing opportunities. So um, the real, you know, nitty gritty scientific work was done by PhDs and veterinarians. Um, But it's just fun working in that environment. I I find it fascinating. And it's something that I was really proud to be a part of. But um, just as a disclaimer, um, yeah, the real hardcore science was conducted by real professionals, whereas I'm just a kind of I was like a giddy field assistant for most of it. So Oh. But yeah, I, I would say that in my in my career of doing field work, about half of it uh has been uh native stuff to Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um and about half of it has been um uh, global, global stuff. So that's the that's, uh, really, that's,
0: that's the other thing is, is like you've been to literally all seven continents.
1: I have, yeah. I was uh lucky enough in 2020 to knock off I had a a, a big bucket list, uh lifelong bucket list out of of mine was to visit all seven continents. Uh, before I turned 40, and um, I had for about two years planned and saved for a trip to Antarctica, which was the last continent on my list, and uh, got back from that trip to Antarctica in late February of 2020, uh, really just before the pandemic lockdown. So um, yeah, I I find, you know, as much as 2020 was absolutely fucking terrible for everybody, For me, I had that one little (laughs) glimmering thing where like the first two months of 2020 for me were fucking awesome because I, you know, I knocked off this this lifelong bucket list. I spent this amazing two weeks um, in Antarctica. I got to visit uh, Buenos Aires in Argentina, which was also uh, just an incredible city. had this this really kind of life-changing experience um, right before... uh, I was told I couldn't go anywhere, maybe ever again. So, <laughs> well,
0: I want I We're gonna. We're gonna obviously get to Antarctica in a minute, but, but so just, just rapid fire. Just a couple of other places in the world that you've been to that that you that were particularly uh, of interest to you.
1: Sure. Yeah. I'd say you know. So I have been to all seven continents. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll just I'll touch on the the other places I did field work. Um, I have been to South Africa a couple of times, uh, working with the South African Shark Conservancy. Um, which is in a a small town called Hermanus, South Africa, which is about 60, 70 miles uh, east of Cape Town. And I spent two months there uh, in subsequent years, um, basically working with them, doing uh, a lot of shark conservation field work um, and doing a lot of education with some of the local community. Um, And I rebuilt uh, the majority of their wet lab for them while I was there. I kind of replumbed and redesigned a lot of their aquatic systems uh, which is kind of my expertise. So that was a really amazing experience. Um, and then again, I, I got to spend uh, a couple of weeks uh, kind of deep in the middle of nowhere in Australia uh, doing some, some shark and stingray conservation work uh, with a group called Sharks and Rays Australia. Um, what what we, part of Australia is that? So I, I uh, flew into a, a city called Cairns, which if you look at it on a map, it looks like it would be pronounced Cairns. Okay. Um, if you go there and pronounce it Cairns, some bogan, uh, which is what they call rednecks, will probably punch you in the face. <laughs> um, it's pronounced Cairns, like cans of soda. Um, it's, that city is considered the gateway to the um, the Great Barrier Reef. So anyone who uh, has, you know, wanted to go out and scuba dive on the Great Barrier Reef or see that particular beautiful part of the world before it's completely destroyed has probably heard of Cairns or been there. Um, from there, we set off um, and uh, traveled to the north Um, and uh, the the Cape York Peninsula. uh, We traveled almost all the way to the the far uh, northeast tip of Australia into a small Aboriginal community called Mapoon. Um, It was about a two and a half day drive uh, on these kind of crazy back roads. It's a place that not a lot of people go to visit. Um, Mapoon has got an interesting backstory. Um, If you're familiar with the Australian band, what are they called midnight oil um they have a song called beds are burning and it's actually about some of the really awful things that the australian government did to uh that particular aboriginal community um i won't go into it too deeply but it's uh, yeah if you wanted to look that up it's, yeah. it's pretty some pretty horrific stuff but anyways yeah so so spent about two and a half weeks um about a you know a three-day drive from the nearest major city um just in the middle of nowhere in Australia. Um, that was truly amazing. Uh, we hit three or four different spots um, up in, you know, nearly to the tip of the Cape York Peninsula, um, specifically sampling for sawfish, um, which are an animal I'm, I'm fascinated by. Um, they kind of look like a, a cross between a shark and a stingray with a, a really elongated uh, rostrum or, or, Oh yeah. 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 I know these things that travel down on either side. So a lot of people, yeah, you've probably seen one or in a, in a picture. Um, but yeah, we got to, uh, so basically lived in a tent, uh, just in the middle of nowhere in Australia, surrounded by, you know, all the things that Australia has to offer, um, as far as dangerous animals go. Um, we were in areas that are heavily infested by saltwater crocodiles, which are, um, really indescribably dangerous, kill several people per year. Uh, venomous snakes venomous spiders and I was living in um, a little swag tent and a swag tent if you're uh, familiar with the like the the childhood song waltzing Matilda about the swag man um, which would be kind of like their version of a hobo Uh, a swag tent is kind of like a coffin shaped tent that you would roll up and keep on your back as you traveled around the outback Um, and that was that was another really amazing field work experience for me Um, because I was out there yeah really just living in a tent working around the clock um, going out uh, on our small research boat and uh, collecting and tagging and releasing uh, a number of shark and ray species um, for uh, you know scientific tracking and uh, to coincide with some different university research programs that were going on and uh, really getting yeah getting just having the experience of of being that far out in the middle of nowhere in australia working with uh, some of the aboriginal rangers which um, I guess would be like uh, the Aboriginal version of like our Department of Natural Resources or wildlife management officers um, in some of those areas was was really spectacular. Um, just seeing the wildlife being that far out in the middle of nowhere, um, you know, there's a fair amount of risk involved with uh, with field work, as I'm sure we'll, we'll yeah, dive yeah. into a little bit when we talk about space aliens. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I would say uh, as far as doing global field work. Uh, my two best experiences were in, in South Africa and Australia.
0: Um, yeah, shout out to Australia, by the way. I, I, um, I look at the analytics on this show sometimes, and uh, I have a number of Australian listeners, and uh, particularly shout out to uh, my friends on the Swapcast podcast, who I had on.
1: Uh, no, that's amazing. Yeah, Australia is a, just an incredible country. I had a, a really spectacular time there.
0: Well, listen, while you were um, spending your – twenties and thirties doing whatever it was. You just said you did. I was spending it watching a bunch of fucking stupid movies sitting on my ass. So um, uh, (laughs) that
1: that sounds amazing to me. Well, uh,
0: well, I, I still want to go through uh, that. That's not the segue I wanted to do. I, uh, so you traveled the world. I watched a bunch of shitty films during the holidays. uh, We were talking about you doing this episode and I found out that you had never seen, john carpenter's the thing
1: and yeah which is a bit ridiculous you know I'm, I'm very jealous of your your movie acumen um yeah we obviously do our No, our... i have to
0: google the word acumen go ahead
1: <laughs> um we, you know we do our, our... oh thank you well wait, so um, so so i want to
0: talk, so the thing though uh, yeah. i i literally just assumed that you had seen it were you aware of this film
1: you know, I, yeah, I'd heard of it. Um, you know, I consider myself a pretty big fan of movies. I, I love movies. I, I, I watch a lot of movies. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I oftentimes overlook the classics. Yeah. Um, which is, which is a problem. I, I have this, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I had never actually sat down and watched but, it. Uh, and don't,
0: don't beat yourself up now. I, I fucking <laughs> stop doing that Minnesota shit. Uh, so I, uh, I, no, no, because, because I know for me, I didn't see it till late in life, and that was mostly because – well, late in life. I saw it in my teens. That was mostly because um, growing up, there was always this, like, sci-fi channel um, uh, commercial about uh, a documentary that you could buy about film special effects, and they showed all the money shots in the thing. And I don't think the thing needs a lot of introduction. Uh, 82, Kurt Russell, John Carpenter film, um, like, a dozen men out in, like, Antarctica – space aliens blah 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 you know the movie but like of the shots where like the guy gets like um um his arms bitten off by the guy's torso like you yeah. know like the heads like um you know like uh coming you know like off on a string and all that shit like I'd seen that all uh in advance and then like when I when I finally like watched the movie it was sort of like this thing where like I was like oh so there's actually like characters there right, that's, right. that's kind of neat
1: um, yeah i um yeah i loved it honestly yeah and that's one thing that i love about you know you picking the movies to watch is that <laughs> um you make me watch things that i might not otherwise watch on my own and i you know i'd say like a solid 90 percent of the time wind up wind up loving them um
0: so 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 when you went to antarctica this was uh yep. this was just like a vacation you took this was not was, them yep. doing You you were not there doing field research but what was it that what what was it that you did? What what do what does one do when they go to Antarctica?
1: So yeah, what what you do if you're if you're a tourist and you want to go to Antarctica is you you book a trip. Um, I guess the best way to describe it would be a, a, a small cruise ship, and we cross the Drake Passage, which is a, a two day journey. Uh, and the Drake Passage is considered uh, one of, if not the roughest uh, passages in the world, and for good reason. You know, even on a, a, a I guess it'd be a medium sized ship in the grand scheme of things. Uh, For the first time in my life, I got motion sick and I've, you know, (laughs) uh, (laughs) um, yeah. So we basically uh, after that two day Drake, uh, Drake passage voyage, basically just explored the Antarctic peninsula. So uh, if you're looking on a map, it looks like the little tail that sticks off the continent. Um, Even in the Antarctic summer, we were there in February, which is kind of the end of summer. Um, there's a very limited window, uh, unless you're like a a year round or a long-term researcher staying in in Antarctica, there's a pretty limited window when you can go as a a traveler to visit the continent. Um, And that's kind of the middle of their summer. Uh, So we ended up, uh, yeah, traveling. Uh, We did actually uh, uh, go uh, pretty far south on the peninsula, almost to the, I guess, the base of the peninsula, you call it. Um, and for about 12 days, every day we would uh, sit through a kind of a scientific presentation. Um, so we would have these really passionate Norwegian uh, interpreters uh, explain what we were going to see. Um, the trip wasn't by any means planned out ahead of time. We kind of took it day by day because it was very much dependent on, on what the weather was going to be like down there, what the, um, what the icebergs were doing, what the glaciers were doing, things like that as to where we could go. Antarctica is governed by a global treaty, um, and there's a lot of rules in place for biosecurity uh, to make sure that you don't bring anything from Antarctica back on board the ship and that you're not taking, more importantly, that you're not taking anything, uh, you know, from whatever part of the world you come from uh, to Antarctica with you. Right. That that, that Simpsons
0: episode with the bullfrogs and the koala bears.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly like that. So they're they're very, uh, very, very cautious about that. Um, so we had to learn all about, you know, um, all the different um, kind of biosafety protocols we were going to go through to prevent um, any kind of uh, spread. Also, just the fact that we were going to be visiting several different parts of the Antarctic Peninsula. We also didn't want to transmit any disease, uh, you know, let's say between penguin colonies. So we would go and, and, and see one penguin colony through the course of that. You're going to step in penguin shit. It's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, we didn't want to trans, uh, transfer any disease from from place to place on Antarctica either. Um, so in order to actually make landfall, you were you required legally to sit through um, a, a pretty extensive set of lectures on, on what the do's and don'ts are and what the protocols were going to be. Um, but yeah, every day we would, uh, you know, get up, uh, have a quick breakfast, uh, do a hop on a Zodiac and visit um, some part of the, the peninsula, uh, wherever the, the ship happened to be that day. Uh, typically, we would see uh, penguins and a lot of seals and we would see whales. The wildlife down there is just spectacular, um, as is the general scenery. But yeah, and then uh, so every day we would get to make landfall. We would get to, to spend an hour or two hiking around. Um, and they, it was very interesting because the guides would bring supplies for three or four days every single time we would make landfall because you never know, uh, weather can blow in and separate us from the, the main ship. And in that case, we had to be uh, prepared to stay for a couple days oh, if we shit. needed to, which is a little bit intimidating. Yeah. Um, we didn't run into that situation, fortunately, but they are, you know, they would basically, uh, the expedition team would make landfall before they would bring us and they would bring days worth of supplies mm-hmm. um, just in case the weather changed very rapidly and we weren't able to get the Zodiac back to the main ship. Um, yeah, we would spend a, an hour or two at max on land. Um, you know, you're not allowed to get very close to the wildlife um, under most situations, which uh, I think is a, is a very good yeah, thing. Yeah. Uh, we don't want to disturb them uh, by any means, but... You
0: didn't do a, uh, like, do you have any idea who I am kind of thing with them? Or?
1: Yeah, no, <laughs> nothing like that. Yeah. And then each day as well, we would we would get to take a Zodiac uh, and just kind of cruise around um, and get kind of up close to some of the, the glaciers and things like that. We did actually also get to visit um, a couple different research stations, um, which was pretty amazing. We visited... Um, Uh, a Chilean research station, which was active, uh, which was pretty, pretty great. We got to see their living quarters and, and speak to them a little bit. And uh, uh, that was one of the, one of the really cool parts of the uh, the experience for me as well was, was actually getting to see an active scientific research station.
0: So speaking of active scientific, yeah, that kind of, that's a good a good segue back
1: into the thing. Yeah. Uh,
0: So what were they even studying there in that movie? You know, it's, it's Do they very, explain it?
1: it yeah, you know, a lot of, uh, environmental thing, you know, they're just doing basic climate study. Um, and, uh, you know, everything from wildlife study to climate study, the things that you would kind of expect people to study in Antarctica, um, yeah. you know, changes in ice changes in, in glacier formation, uh, things like that. They're just, um, they're
0: just nerds out there just like doing that, like all the time.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And it was, it was pretty interesting too. I know, um, you know, I didn't, I got like a little bit of the gist of some of the political uh, thoughts that go into having research stations in, in Antarctica as well. So that same uh, global treaty, which sets up the protocols for visiting and, and what you can and can't do on Antarctica, um, also expressly forbids any military activities. Um, so there are, you know, there are quite a number of countries that have research bases, you know, both in the interior of Antarctica, which uh, I definitely did not visit, mm-hmm. um, but as well as like the coastal areas, which I did. Um, so there, you know, there are a number of Argentinian research stations um, that we didn't visit, but that we saw uh, throughout the course of our journey, and uh, uh, you know, there's American research bases, British, Russian, Norwegian. Um, so who knows what actually goes on? Um, yeah, because there was a one, that
0: that that one f- uh, fictional research station had an awful lot yeah. of firearms and explosives and flamethrowers. Yep. Throwers. yep. Um, is there? A, uh, you know like a, I'm such a wimp I'm just like oh my god that's a military uh you know uh, uh um I mean but that's all stuff that they would have just used for like regular research anyway right
1: I would say you know I, I was thinking actually about that quite yeah. a lot as I was watching yeah. um the thing obviously the opening scene you know with the Norwegian helicopter shooting at that poor innocent gunning of run across the snow yeah I was mortified uh, I, you I you know, know it occurred to me scene. I should
0: have told you I should have warned you about
1: that <laughs> in advance Well, and like part of the reason I I think I hadn't seen the thing, um, I love science fiction movies. Yeah. I am not the biggest fan of horror. Um, there are a number of horror movies that I've, I've seen typically when I'm watching them with someone who makes me sit down and watch them. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a genre that I, I tend to go to on my own. I had a couple of, I blame it on, you know, seeing, um, what the blob, I guess. Um, right. Um, I was probably exposed to it at a young age and then um, a little bit wimpy.
0: uh, Yeah. I mean, again, like since we're doing biography shit here, like we spent, uh, (laughs) we spent like what, like a few weeks together in in Long Beach uh, uh, in the summer of like 1995. And you were like what you were, you were like 14, 15 at the time. You had this weird fixation on like, we need to watch faces of death.
1: Oh yeah. You know, I went through a, a weird, you know, I'm sorry about that, by the way. Also, um, <laughs> I sorry, brought you on sorry, <laughs> Aunt Michelle and Uncle Leo. Yeah. I, um, sorry for,
0: I thought that for, was uh... so cool. I'd never heard of that <laughs> shit. I was just like, they can't do it. How does Matthew know about this? He's so sophisticated.
1: Well, this is so dumb. Cause you know, growing up going in the nineties, going to video stores and just like renting VHS cassettes, some of my idiot friends, you know, from high school. Uh, and I say that lovingly, yeah, obviously, yeah. um, I don't think that was my idea, but I know that as a group, we like, I think it was kind of like a, Ooh, you think we can watch this? Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. You think we can what, what are
0: the boundaries that we can push?
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I remember watching one of those, I don't know, and how, how we convinced the small town, you know, uh, the, the, vid, you know, the video store operator to let us take that, that movie home. He probably didn't care. He's just interested in our money. but. Yeah. Um, he was just I interested in
0: the 50 <laughs> exactly plus the extra dollar in late fines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I remember watching
1: it in my, my friend Joe's living room um, and his mom came home in the middle of watching that and was just beyond mortified. Um, his very, you know, kind of conservative, yeah. uh, small town um, mom who, you know, I don't blame her. I wouldn't want my 14 year old son watching that movie either um i don't remember a whole lot of that i don't know if i just blocked it out but yeah that was very much a i don't know if that's like a like a just a like a juvenile growing up thing like you want to like test your limits and see what you can you know yeah and you you also kind of feel invincible so as you're watching these gruesome things you're like well that that'll never happen to me so it's but but this is what's
0: but it's just it's interesting to hear to hear to hear you specifically say that you're you're averse to horror now this is there was a really interesting strain of sci-fi horror like in the like wake of ridley scott's alien and we'll get Mm -hmm. to we'll get to predator but like i feel like that that was that that was the things that really spoke to you because like the slasher stuff i could see you not being into but like Mm -hmm. excuse me the thing was one of those ones where you know uh or, or like gremlins is another one where there's like, mm-hmm. there's like rules that there's this new species and we're trying to understand it and what makes it unique and what makes it interesting. And it's almost like, right. and they're just, and they're just dumb beasts to a certain right. degree. Um, but, um, you know, and again, that's, that's a, it's a different beast than, uh, than like Freddy Krueger, for instance. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it just, I, I don't know, maybe it's just, thinking about what your nine to five is, but I, I just figured yeah. that's gotta be something that like spoke. So, so I don't know. So, so what was going on with you while you were watching it? I don't know. I don't have more elegant.
1: So, yeah. As of, so, no, no. So yeah, the thing, so one of my, one of the, my first thoughts um, was, you know, I can't believe for like, you know, the the, the scene where, where Kurt, I think, I believe it was Kurt Russell when he, we breaks the glass on the case full of shotguns. Yeah. Um, I'm like, there's, there's no way that they would have, there's no need to have 10 shotguns. Um, in Antarctica, I could see like needing maybe one shotgun mm-hmm. um, for, in ca- you know, just in case one of your coworkers goes absolutely crazy and needs to be <laughs> subdued, but also there is, uh, you know, I guess saying that there's no dangerous wildlife in Antarctica is uh, like a little bit of a, a misconception because I mean, there are, there's, there's some dangerous animals down there like um, leopard seals, mm-hmm. quite aggressive, quite dangerous, orcas, but these are not typically things you're going to run into in an interior. Research station. There are no polar bears. You know, if you were working in Svalbard, let's say, you're actually you're mandated if you're if you live on Svalbard, which is this little island uh, north of Norway, um, part of the part of uh, Norway's territory, you're actually required to have a rifle with you if you leave the city limits because there are polar bears everywhere, and that's an animal that you would you know potentially need to defend yourself against. There's nothing in Antarctica that can harm you in the interior, you know, other than king penguins. And they're not so aggressive <laughs> that you're going to need a flamethrower, a sniper rifle, yeah. several shotguns, you know, and lots of grenades. That's, but it's, so a, I think, obviously. The,
0: the vibe of the thing is it's a dude's rock movie. Like, like, yo, oh, absolutely, like yeah. you don't need that much whiskey either. or. Like...
1: <laughs> it did remind me there was a story a couple of years ago uh, at an Antarctic, uh, Russian Antarctic research station where. Um and this is more of like you know it'd be a really great setting for like a psychological thriller mm-hmm. um but there was a, a a russian who stabbed to death one of his um i guess coworkers you'd call them at a research station uh because this particular coworker kept ruining the end of books for him <laughs> so they would and i can i can kind of relate to that so like let's say you you know you spend all this time you know reading this this book and then here comes your coworker and every time you're reading a new book he he you know spoils the ending for you before you can get there eventually you're going to stab this person to death. And that's exactly what happened. Um, but yeah, the, the amount of firepower in the thing was, was pretty ridiculous, obviously necessary to tell the story. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, yeah. So one of the first things I was thinking about too, is as they, they pan in on, on that opening scene, where it's these beautiful mountains and glaciers and this poor, you know, uh, escaped sled dog trying to get away from this lunatic in a helicopter. Um, I actually, you know, uh, had, to, had to Google real quick where the actual filming location was because it looked just like Antarctica. I did, again, yeah. I didn't see the interior, but just, you know, these kind of stark, beautiful mountains rising out of these, these amazing glaciers. Um, yeah, that scene did. They did a wonderful job of, of location scouting. Um, it turns out that was filmed, it, it looks like uh, mostly up in Juneau, Alaska. Yeah, Juneau, you know, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that was a really, so really awesome bullshit. job. Bullshit total bullshit, yeah. you know, wrong hemisphere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought that was, they did a pretty good job there. That was pretty, pretty realistic. And actually like the living quarters, um, from what I saw, um, you know, looked pretty realistic as well. I think that they, they did their, they did their research, you know, the, there's obviously, um, you know, uh, the, the Chilean research station, um, that I visited had, you know, they had a game room, you know, obviously when you're staying there, year round, there becomes uh, a, a long excuse me, a long stretch of the year where it's, the area is not navigable. Like once you're in, you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, not even with a medical emergency can you get out, which is why, um, I don't know how true this actually is, but I've been told that all people who go and stay in Antarctica uh, for any extended amount of time automatically have to get their appendix out um, because that's obviously a pretty, a pretty common uh, occurrence amongst us humans uh, where that will get infected and, and become a life-threatening right. issue um so you're, you're kind of stuck there so there's you know a lot of things you know tvs uh games things like that for i could, for entertainment. You know,
0: I, could use, I could have used one of them this last winter honestly <laughs> no but that's in, so 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 it was in the game rooms that you saw
1: um you know just mostly like televisions and yeah. it looked like they had a couple video game setups but you know because you wonder uh, the the research station that i visited um was all male and i don't know if that was intentional um the the only people that we met the only uh, chilean uh, research station employees that we got to spend any time with at least we're all we're all men um, so it was um, you know a little bit militaristic which I guess you'd want that discipline yeah. in a group of people that are going to be living in close quarters together um, uh, and uh, so yeah that was it was, it was really it was very interesting um, and I to be honest I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit I don't know exactly what research they were doing at that particular station That's, outside of somewhere <laughs> yeah, I mean, they. I think they were doing, you know, climate monitoring um, and things like that. But uh, as far as like specifics go, I was just so enthralled to be there that I, um, yeah, it was that was the only time, uh, you know, while in in Antarctica that uh, we got to actually see buildings and go into buildings, I guess not see buildings. We did see some other research stations from afar, but to actually be able to, to visit some of these living quarters and see, you know, some of these places was was pretty interesting. Otherwise, you know, it looked like a, a pretty common, you know, uh like a a college college housing more or less you know um dormitory style big shared kitchen big shared dining room um big shared amusement room and then you know individual uh you know lodging areas yeah
0: i know i think that's good i think that's good on the thing right like um uh so let's uh let's move um Let's move up from uh, Antarctica and into the Amazon rainforest here. Okay. Um, you wanted to do Medicine Man. Uh,
1: yeah, I, well. You,
0: do you, you saw this film in the theaters in like the mid-90s, just like I did. Is that, is that correct?
1: You know, I actually uh, I saw it in a high school Spanish class. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> where we watched it. That was yeah. a movie that we watched in Spanish with uh, English subtitles. And I remember as a as a an impressionable you know probably fifteen year old, you know, uh, if you're familiar with the movie and and the way that the movie ends, thinking you know that probably played into my my liberal aesthetic of uh, you know save the rainforest. Yeah, yeah. You know, evil corporations versus good science. God damn corporate. Yeah, I can't. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. so so
0: so this one probably needs a little bit more queuing up than than the thing. So this was uh, like a nineteen. I'm gonna say 1990. Three, John McTiernan film with uh uh Lorraine Bracco and a, a, a Sean Connery that just oozes sex appeal uh oh, yeah. and they're they're in the Amazon rainforest she's the uh uh she's the scientist who uh was there to assist um Sean Connery who has potentially found the cure for cancer uh and um uh he's doing this research but then um yeah. The Amazon's getting plowed through and it there's, it's so fascinating. There's, there wasn't that much there beyond that. Like I'm trying to think of like more to the plot. It's like, they fall in love. They, you know, like Sean Connery has, uh, um, endeared in, in himself to the native population, um, to the indigenous population. And, uh, um, you see a lot of butts, uh, uh oh,
1: yeah, a lot of butts, a lot of, a lot of boobs. A lot of boobs. <laughs> yeah. Yep.
0: Um, uh it was it, it's, it's a weird film to watch now because like um, there is definitely like some like you know like white savior shit that goes on in there, but then there's also like it's also like a lot more like uh, curious about um, people who are not uh, you know from Western you know uh, civilization that you know air quote western civilization that like um, I would have thought. Um right? Like what what did you think going back to it?
1: Yeah, you know, honestly, I actually I thoroughly enjoyed watching it again. Oh, yeah? I don't think I'd seen it since <laughs> I was a teenager. Yeah, I mean I you know, and I'm I'm easy to please, you know. I don't I don't have uh, being not being a, a movie expert, I think I'm a lot a lot easier to please. And I, mm-hmm. I, I can be very amused by very bad movies. Um, I was a little bit saddened, you know, I looked it up after watching it um, to see that it's got like a 15% on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. This
0: movie, um, like people hate this film. Yeah.
1: And it's, you know, I can see and I can see why hundred yeah, yeah. um, percent. I thoroughly enjoyed it on a surface level. I, you know, it's, it's, it's not that good, but I, I still thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, but yeah. You know, kind of classic, you know, yeah. Sean, uh, Sean Connery, like you mentioned, just, you know, Basically, a part of the tribe, mm-hmm. um, having kind of disappeared from the the scientific community radar, and, and Lorraine Bracco oh, being sent down there to and
0: with the ponytail.
1: Yeah, that was so. My favorite line in the whole movie yeah. is when, and I love Lorraine Bracco. Yeah. You know, she's great. She plays, you know, classic angry New Yorker. I mean yeah. you obviously know uh, <laughs> how that goes. Clearly, shut the fuck um, up. <laughs> as opposed to us wholesome midwesterners. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my favorite line in the whole movie is when she she's, she shows up and she's got this this grueling journey um, to get to where he's located in this, you know, kind of interior tribe. And, you know, she's, she finally meets up with him and she's immediately demanding, I, I need a bath and I need some food. And, yeah. you know, and he's kind of dismissive, dismissive of her at first, kind of classic, like, you know, sexism in the, in the science community kind of oozing out of that scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just assumes that she's some idiot when really she's, you know, kind of a brilliant doctor and uh when she calls him dr mengela with a ponytail um <laughs> you know it's obviously i almost fell off the couch i was laughing so hard so he didn't he kind of dismissed her you know you know about the bath and the food that she wanted and yeah. so she referred to him as you know dr Mengela. dr Mengela, you know like a, a obviously um unspeakably horrible nazi doctor <laughs> because he wouldn't give her a a, a bath um I had I, I, forgotten that it was Lorraine Bracco who played the female lead in, in right. uh, Medicine Man. It's the only time I saw her blonde. Yeah, right, exactly. You know, I'm, I'm very used to her from, uh, you know, Goodfellas, obviously, mm-hmm. and, and The Sopranos, and she kind of has a tendency to play a, a, sh- a bit of a shrill, uh, at times, kind of, you know, confident, aggressive uh, New York trope, I guess, mm-hmm. if that's a fair way to say it. Um, but yeah, I, I actually thoroughly enjoyed watching it again. I, I want to tell know. you, my,
0: my my favorite thing uh, watching yeah, it was, uh, and this really spoke to like the 2021 as we know it now, is that like in a very interesting way, like she arrives and he's immediately like, you know, you have to be quarantined and you have to wear a face mask. And then like, she does the thing <laughs> where she like, she's like yelling at him at one point. She's like, I'm not gonna wear this fucking face mask. You know, it's not yeah, what he just like, yeah. you know, just like,
1: uh,
0: this, a lot of things here didn't age too well in this one
1: <laughs> yeah no that was absolutely classic you know it's funny and, and 2020 is obviously going to resonate forever in that regard but i I thought the same thing watching it like oh my god like this is so so topical yeah did, um, did
0: they come off as scientists
1: to you you know i actually i, I felt it was like fairly believable okay um, okay you know and that's there's an air to you know there's an air of oftentimes if you're a very good field researcher mm. Um, you know, if you're, if you're really good at any field in science, I guess if you're really good at any field in life, um, there, there tends to be a certain kind of arrogance, but especially, you know, in science and if you're, um, you know, you, you've kind of had the success of, of getting this tribe to accept you and you, you're running these successful experiments and creating this, this amazing research. That's a pretty. I'd say that's a pretty fair representation. Sean Connery's character. By the way, that was just a brilliant uh, Scottish accent that you just did. Oh, thank um, you.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, it was wonderful. So, uh, so rest in peace. By the way, yeah, that was you know, Sean. Um, yeah, rest in peace, Sean. Great, great actor. Um, and then you know, I also understand you know, even if 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 it had been me, let's say I had been Lorraine Bracco, I like to think of myself as a, a an extremely laid back traveler. Mm-hmm. When I when I travel, I tend to stay in the most low key. Um, and inexpensive places you can a lot of uh, a lot of hostels with very minimal amenities and things like that but I definitely you know when you when you've been awake for 50 hours traveling somewhere and you're dirty and you're sweaty and you're you're hungry and you're tired um, you know anybody can snap and so her you know her kind of early outbursts in the film I thought were very realistic that would definitely be something that I, I could relate to um you know some of these long journeys to get to some of these kind of far flung uh, for Americans at least kind of far flung places in the world um can leave even the the sanest and and kindest and calmest of people at their wits end and ready to snap so i thought that was a pretty a pretty fair representation
0: so the the thing that the film is probably most well known for is uh um the accents the the clashing mm-hmm. accents there uh, again you like Sean Connery's very heavy Scottish accent mixed with Lorraine Bracco's very like outer boroughs, New York accent. And, um, and it's weird because they are, because it is a film about these two people like, uh, falling in love while talking about science while talking Mm -hmm. like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, it, you know, I, I'll say that I, I was a little bored at parts of this film. There's there's a lovely uh-huh. zip lining sequence, I should say. But yeah, um, yeah. I did t- take some time to like try and find some analogies for sure. what hearing these accents, which individually sound fine, yeah. um, like you know, in, in this context. So I uh, I have uh, it's like peanut butter and onions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it's like uh, ice cream and cheese.
1: Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah.
0: it's like cheap whiskey and tuna.
1: Ooh, yeah. yeah. No, those are that, that excellent clashing. Analogies. Like for yeah. your
0: ears. That's what medicine yeah. man feels like. And then I was thinking like, OK, so let's say, you know, they have a kid. What does that sound
1: Ooh. like? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, you know, I he, was
0: putting it together in my head. Are you ready? So you put those accents together. Yeah, I, I think it sounds a little bit like a Minnesotan accent.
1: It could. Yeah. yeah. You know, and the, but then a, here's
0: the abomination. Here's the problem yeah. is that you get those two people and they have a kid, their accent might be Minnesotan, but the kid is going to be assertive.
1: Yeah. So, oh, very so assertive. So like, yeah. It's like, <laughs> this is this, this
0: completely like befuddling to anybody.
1: <laughs> well, I guess it would depend too on whether they, you know, do they, do they have this, this uh, imaginary child while they're living with this tribe, uh, or do they have this child? you know, when they're back in, in you know, so-called civilization <laughs> but, uh, amongst the, yeah, exactly, amongst the uh, intelligentsia of the <laughs> high-end scientific research community. Um, I think that would obviously have some effect on it. I think a, a kid in that uh, surrounding would grow up probably pretty arrogant uh, either way, but.
0: So, so, but you did, you went back to it and you did like it. That's, that's good. It grew on you.
1: Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. And I think part of it, too, is probably looking at it from a perspective of, of you know, it made me think of my own experiences living in, uh, you know, um, or living or, or, or spending some time in, in kind of far, far-flung far places doing scientific research. Um, and so, yeah, I, I probably had a little bit more of a, you know, rose-colored glasses as I was mm-hmm. watching it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people would probably really not enjoy watching the movie, but just... <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I really did actually thoroughly enjoy watching it again. Um, again, I wouldn't tell anyone that it was the best movie ever, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, you must rush out and go see it. But as I sat on my couch, uh, watching it, uh, I, I, and I, I tend to be the type of person, especially if I'm watching a movie alone, I get very emotional. Um, I'm a pretty emotional person anyways, but I didn't, at no point during this movie, I, I think that I find myself like choking up, um, which is pretty rare for me. I can watch pretty you know, non-emotional movies and, and get choked up. But um, I, I did not, you know, I, I wasn't, uh, you know, even at the climactic ending, um, I didn't find myself, you know, getting ready for a good heave cry or anything. Um, yeah, but I did actually, I did enjoy watching. it. And I, and I, I yeah, I, I have to wonder, you know, I, I, I wondered a lot about the production of the movie. Um, and, you know, questions I didn't answer. I don't, I'm sure there's an article written somewhere, but just wondering, you know, specifically what tribe they actually um, convinced to let them, you know, to film with and, um, you know, where it was actually filmed. I'm not even sure. Um, yeah, what, what the yeah. navigation on that was, yeah. Yeah, and all that kind of stuff, because I'm sure that, yeah, like you mentioned, uh, kind of one of the more poignant points of the movie for you, uh, we're talking about the the spread of disease and, the, mm-hmm. the, and uh, having how that relates, obviously, to the current pandemic.
0: It's an interesting film. Um, Cause it's like, it, it's John McTiernan and it comes at the end of a run that went, I think, I, I think I got this right. It went predator die hard, uh, hunt for red October and then medicine man,
1: Right.
0: you know? Uh, and, yeah. and, and that's one of the other like, kind of like common takes on it. And then actually the really fascinating thing I was thinking about when I was watching it was, um, there's a scene when Sean Connery like confronts the people like committing deforestation. And this is going to be our, our segue here if you're, if you're ready Uh, um, where he like uh, you know, is fighting these guys and it's such shitty action just on an action. Just as a, uh, as a fight scene goes and um, uh, in stark contrast too, Mm -hmm. let's take a little step out of field research and into just a film i want to talk to you specifically about predator sure. um yeah. and uh that's a film that you know i i know you were we talked about it a second ago you were really into that film when you were younger in a way that made me <laughs> really into that film <laughs> uh that actually like i really like um uh like i, I was it was so interesting so I, I rewatched predator and um it was a film that like uh i don't even think the i think the film's fine i think the film's good i think what really speaks to me about the predator franchise are those like like uh early 90s mid 90s dark horse comic adaptations because mm-hmm. those were so awesome yeah i loved it that's so, I'm going back to know, a few of them and they're still really some of them really rip some of them suck but like some of them are yeah, yeah great
1: yeah that was you know probably my favorite comics um uh, growing up, were uh, you know those dark horse, um, you know Alien and Predator comics. So yeah. Those were, you know, as a kid, those are by far my favorite movies: the Alien, yeah, um, the the Predator movies. Uh, uh, um, but I not as opposed that. to Alien oh, yeah. versus
0: Predator. But yeah. no, right, yeah.
1: which was one, one of my favorite comic, uh, yeah, short, you know, short the four uh, issue Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five, actually five issues. You know, with a zero. But everybody series. knows that there's uh, issue zero. No one's
0: gonna hug and kiss us after this.
1: No, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it's, a uh, yeah, those are by far my favorite movies growing up or that style of movie. Absolutely loved it. The Terminator, you know, throw Terminator in there a mm-hmm. um, little bit of foreshadowing, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love, you know, the original Predator it's, it just oozes that kind of like late eighties, early nineties, macho, you know, not politically correct. Um, it, it, you know, and, and then for me later in life, moving to Minnesota, um, you know, then obviously uh, Jesse, the body, Jesse Ventura, the mind, yes. uh, the mind yep, uh, as a, a character in that in that particular film. Um, Did you vote uh, for then, him? You know, it's funny. I, I can, I, up, can I be nosy um, and ask? <laughs> oh, please do. Yeah, no, I, I grew up uh, about a year to two years younger than all of my classmates. Having started uh, kindergarten in California as a four-year-old, I ended up being quite a bit younger than all my classmates when I moved to Minnesota. And so that was the the last election that I was too young to vote in. So I did not vote uh, for Jesse Ventura, but a number of my classmates did because they had already turned 18 um, during that, that election. So, um, you know, I didn't even really, at that point in my life, politics was like the last thing I was thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if I, I probably would have, you know, maybe just because I, I you know, Did he lean on the fact that
0: he started in predator to like,
1: you know, he, he played up to his, he played up to his, um, you know, his fame obviously as a wrestler and and as a, as an actor. Um, Also, you know, he was, he was very much uh, a a libertarian, I would say. Um, And I think that he, he definitely leaned on his fame, you know, much, much the way his uh, Predator co-star, or I guess he would have been the co-star, but his, the star of the film, uh, Governor Schwarzenegger. Um, Have you ever seen, uh, sorry, have you, have
0: you ever seen Commando?
1: yeah yeah so, so that was that
0: wasn't because i that, that was interesting to like watch um predator is interesting because of commando that that was sort of sure. my other thing was that like yeah predator exists to like um it's almost like um like um upending, uh um this thing where it's like oh you, you know this film like right. it like like Cause that was the thing that like was sort of weird. I think that's the thing that's always weird about it for me coming in as someone who's just like really into like, okay, there are these intergalactic hunters who come in and they're invisible and they have Wolverine claws and, and they mm-hmm. have like a triangle laser pointer. And um, a vagina face. And a vagina totally. face. And yep. um, you know, like then I watched this film and it's like, why am I like, in this jungle for like a half hour <laughs> like just get, get to like you know because i and i think i even saw like predator 2 before i saw predator 1 so okay so so that was the thing that was kind of interesting to me watching at this time was that it, it was that um having now seen commando i can see what it was trying to do because it was also just like i i, I remember i had to even like google like uh before i sat down with it again I had to google like is it in, is it in Vietnam? Is it a Vietnam film? I can't remember. I literally can't, but it's, it's in Central America.
1: Yeah. I believe it, uh, Brazil, I don't remember the exact country, but I believe it was in Brazil. Yeah. Supposedly. Supposedly, Yeah. Yeah. And one thing that I, even as a kid, one thing that I loved about the predator as a, a concept is, you know, as you kind of find out, you know, initially it's sort of portrayed as this all powerful bad guy who just, you know, uh, brutally murders these, these servicemen that are in South America um, but something that you find out about predator, uh, I guess throughout the course of the first movie, but also especially in the second movie, uh, is that they're, you know, they, they very much have a code that they follow Yeah, yeah. Um, where they yeah. will only attack you if you have a weapon and things like that. So they're, they're obviously, and they, I think that they very well know that they have superior firepower, but the fact that they do have, you know, some morals, there's some, uh, you well, know, the, some the moral game of it, it's like, following. yeah, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. You know, like it makes, yeah. Um, they're not like going to a pheasant farm with shotguns and and just blasting these animals yeah um, for sport they're I mean they're very much hunting for sport they're not they're not eating these people um, they're very much trophy takers which uh, in the as in the grand scheme of you know hunting animals I think trophy taking is is pointless and and the worst kind of hunting as opposed to sustenance um, but uh, yeah so I always kind of respected that about predator other than I don't completely understand why they if they're beaten why they need to self-destruct <laughs> that kind of defeats the purpose Thank of being you. like an ethical hunter like oh you beat me so i'm going to blow up a you know a several mile radius to <laughs> i
0: i mean that makes perfect sense to me honestly yeah this is like, a kind of like, final fuck, you. Like, like, fuck yeah. yeah it's just like it's like i just need catharsis you know like like
1: yeah, they, they... Oh, you got me, and I respect you, but now I'm going to blow up, you know... Yeah, yeah, yeah. This whole fucking, this whole fucking jungle. While yeah. playing,
0: like, the laugh track of someone laughing that... Yeah, exactly. you know, like, <laughs> How do you... how w- w- What aren't you getting there? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, sure I, feel, you know, I feel that
0: way when I lose a video game that I play online, <laughs> you know?
1: Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think I love those types. Of, you know, I think just that appeals to, like, you know, most kids, just, like, the the raw action of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it, as a kid, you grow up and you—it's—it's it's, you know just seeing someone shoot a big gun and run around the jungle with alien weaponry and stuff. You're just like, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, so that was you know I think that kind of uh, you know plays into it a lot as well. But um, yeah, I definitely that was definitely my favorite genre of movie growing up.
0: Um, can we talk about Project Grizzly? Yeah, of course. Um, so going away from the big Hollywood films to the, Mm -hmm. you know, to the small Canadian uh, independent documentary. Yep. Um, This was a film that, uh, uh, so actually, let me explain this one a little bit more. I think this was 1998. Uh, I'll put the year in the description, but um, uh, yeah, the film is about, uh, uh, it's documentary about this guy, Troy Herdebees. Did I pronounce that right? I can't remember. Uh, I know, I've watched yes, the movie memory, twice yeah. in the last month. And I, anyway, um, and he, um, uh, as the film opens, he's um, telling us about an, uh, a grizzly attack that he got when he was a young man. Uh, he was attacked by a grizzly. He, was, he, he, he managed to survive, and he's committed the rest of his life to, um, he's saying to researching and understanding grizzlies, but what he does is he creates a stupid Iron Man-like armor system so that he can go out and presumably like research them up close but it's such a wonderful stupid film like uh i I think like i think in his head his ultimate goal is to fight them
1: yeah (laughs) you know it was definitely it struck me obviously more as a thrill-seeking endeavor than a a true scientific endeavor um i actually i've i really enjoyed watching this movie as well um it's you know I, i couldn't help compare it Pretty much the entire time i was watching it i was comparing it to uh grizzly man
0: yeah uh, yeah yeah of course excellent yeah.
1: documentary by Werner uh, herzog yeah. yep um, and that's initially when you when you gave me the list of movies that we were going to be talking about it i initially thought that that's what you were yeah, the movie yeah. that you were talking about um so i spent a lot of time comparing it to that i think while i was watching it just you know subconsciously i guess um yeah I, th- I found it entertaining um you know this guy was is very much and i think he even admits it during the the documentary that he's a bit of a thrill seeker. He likes the attention. Um, you know, there are scenes where uh, he's transporting I think that's an excellent description by the way. It kind of looks like in like, you know, early Tony Stark uh, Iron Man. Well it's like
0: the most realistic Tony Stark. (laughs) Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah.
1: And in yeah, he's like he's the deep the Deep Woods Canadian Tony Stark we can refer (laughs) to him as. Um, But there's you know he's he's transporting the suit in the in the, the bed of his pickup and when he needs to bring it from place to place. And then they cut to, you know, to him actually transporting it completely unnecessarily fully mounted and standing up in the back of the truck, um, which can only be for attention seeking. Yeah. Um, cause you know, they, they show him loading it piece by piece, which makes sense light, you know, just all laid out kind of flat in the bed of his pickup. And I think, uh, you know, for him, it was very much a, a sense of, um, a sense of adventure, a sense of, of, uh, you know, wanting the, wanting the attention, um, and that's you know I think that's a little bit in, in all of us as humans you know we like yeah. to have people ask us about what we're passionate about yeah I, I um,
0: I'm doing a podcast right now
1: <laughs> yeah exactly right so yeah I'm not I'm, like, I'm, I'm not gonna
0: I'm not gonna go too deep in <laughs> I'm gonna go into this guy but I'm not gonna go too deep
1: so yeah and I'm I'm certainly not judging him yeah. by any means um, you know I, I like to think of myself as a, a pretty uh, you know uh, I guess you know conservative person as far as like
0: you know open-minded to people
1: and there yeah own. just being like you know well let me brag about okay, things but this
0: is a movie that like I, I think it's less likely that people have seen so just to yeah. describe this guy a little bit um I, I actually think like physically like this is useful like he, he's a very he's a very like filmic guy you could almost see him being someone who like does like narrative like action films he has a very chiseled chin He has these like great sideburns. He wears the dumbest fucking outfits in the world. He has these like (laughs) leather tasseled jackets, and uh, that he wears with a beret, or he wears like red beret. Red beret. He wears like a duster. You know, like he's fucking Neo. Um, (laughs) And and um, the the film uh, I think does a really effective job of like kind of like understanding like. yeah he has this weird rich kid energy where he does like have some interest in the outside world uh to a certain degree but then he also is just so into his toys and and and, um and then this film like um just to give people an idea like so the first half of the film is just like kind of getting to know you like like 90s documentary character piece where it's like it's like a super enthusiastic person isn't this funny he has contradictions and then, like the second half is him going out into um, uh, out into the wilderness, and in, in, in um, I, I think are they in. Um
1: I believe Northern Alberta. Alberta. If I remember yeah. correctly. That could be totally. They, wrong, they, they have they a song the,
0: about Alberta, which like, Yeah, they're like, in
1: the Canadian, they're in the Canadian Rockies. Yeah, I believe he's is he's
0: surrounded with all these like friends who just are clearly like it's hard to tell how much they are like enthusiastically his friends or if mm-hmm. they work for him or if they're beer buddies or but he has these these weird scenes where like there's like uh, hey, why don't you sing us a song? And it's like clearly inorganic that like one of his friends has like a guitar lying around. Right,
1: um, right.
0: And they go on this, they go on this hunt and this this grizzly suit that he built um, had he just can't move in it. it just wasn't ready to like go out into the field and um, and that just becomes glaringly obvious
1: yeah that was sort of the disappointment of the whole movie you know they, they spend all this time talking about this suit, which is interesting in its own right yeah yeah um, he clearly put a
0: lot of work and money into this
1: yeah that's what I was shocked to find out how much money he had invested. I think at one point they say he had about 150 or two hundred thousand dollars invested in this suit. And um, you know, of note, the uh, rubber that uh, comprised part of the suit mm-hmm. uh, was from source from Minnesota. I couldn't ah, help but okay. notice uh, <laughs> watching the movie that that, that came up. Um, but yeah, and then obviously they, you know, towards the end of the documentary, when he actually goes out to put this thing into practice, um, with the intent being, I think, just to have him uh, slowly walking these trails, sort of at the, in the foothills of the Canadian Rockies, with the hopes of running into a grizzly bear. Um, and then the fact that he can't move more than a couple feet in the thing.
0: Yeah. Um, he can't do anything with any incline.
1: Right. Exactly. It's heartbreaking. So it's, it's
0: really heartbreaking to watch.
1: Yeah. I you know. Cause I was hoping, I was hoping to see, you know, the, you know, I, anyone watching this documentary, I think would be hoping to see then an encounter with, with this, this guy yeah. and, and the grizzly bear. And I think you summed him up perfectly. He is, you know, I'd say he's photogenic. He could have been a Canadian nineties Jean-Claude Van Damme, let's say. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the the some of the scenes with where he's hanging out with his drinking buddies, you know, they're sitting around like a, a Canadian fast food restaurant, just ripping butts mm-hmm. and, you know, telling stories. It really, you know, reminded me, made me a little nostalgic for the 90s, <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> just sitting in a diner having yeah. cigarettes. And, you don't see and a do lot of
0: movies of... with diner scenes anymore.
1: No, no, not like, like that. the and lobster, when...
0: the end of the lobster was the last time yeah, I saw a diner right.
1: in a film. That's a, Yeah, that's, that's a great movie, by the it's way. Very good um, film, yeah um but yeah so it's uh it made me sort of nostalgic for that a little bit and uh but yeah i think you know what i think to me really well kind of perfectly summarized his intent um at least part of his intent with this entire project is when they're sitting around so they've traveled up to the canadian Rockies to to implement this suit with the hopes of running into a, a grizzly bear and one of his buddies is telling a story about um when he served in Vietnam mm-hmm. and they would get bored and a, a game that they would play is that they would, uh, take a grenade, uh, pull the pin, drop it at their feet and then have to decide, do I just sprint away as fast as I can? Do I try to find a depression in the earth to to throw my body into before this grenade goes off? And this is something that they strictly were doing out of boredom. And that really kind of, to me, to me, I was thinking like, this is basically what this guy is doing. Yeah. He's, he's, he's setting himself up in a dangerous situation. Um, you know, taking a little bit of a risk, seeking that thrill, um, and, and basically triggering, you know, putting himself in a, a dangerous situation and then just seeing, can I survive it? Can I, you know, can I have a favorable outcome? Um, which might be, you know, I'm, I'm assuming the, the rush of adrenaline you get, uh, when you have a grizzly bear encounter as he did in, you know, as he describes in the, mm-hmm. the early part of the documentary, you know, maybe that sets off something in you that makes you a bit of an adrenaline junkie for life. You know, you survive something like that and you're maybe forever seeking that thrill. Um, but then again, you know, obviously him, uh, having a family, having a wife and a son, as he describes, um, which we don't get to meet in the documentary, yeah. which was a little bit disappointing. I was wanting to see, you know, who, first of all, who's this guy married to? Um, <laughs> and you know, what are her thoughts on him risking his life and yeah, he, he, a, a small fortune? You
0: see his mom, you know, for a little right, bit, right. it, it, yep. it, it, it yeah, it it's a really interesting documentary for what it doesn't show as much as for what I I I'm glad you brought up the Vietnam stuff because that was the other thing I was thinking at the end there. Like because yeah, when I first saw it, uh I remember feeling underwhelmed because you feel like you're watching you're anticipating this movie that's gonna be this big showdown that will never happen. But like there's I was thinking watching it this time there's like almost like a western style imagery like they're, oh, yeah. they're, they're riding on horses through that through the, the wilderness there's uh, you know obviously like some like total sci-fi like iron man type of imagery yeah. um uh, they're they, even beyond just like telling stories about vietnam like these guys there are other guys who are dressed up like in camo this film is just like this weird like just like splooge of like like masculine energy Oh, yeah. uh, and and it just doesn't have anywhere to go. You know?
1: Well, that was one of the one of the scenes that I loved was like the the scenes you describe where they are clearly you know uh, pre pre thought out. You know they're not this isn't uh, candid. Yeah. Um, when they show him and he's in his suit and he's walking through a drive-in movie parking lot. Yeah, yeah. And RoboCop is playing yeah. in the background. Like they knew what they were that, doing. They, of course yeah, yeah that was like very, you know that struck me as as very very uh, you know pre planned obviously. Yeah. Um, And they showed him walking through I think at one point like an abandoned building and he's pushing walls over and um, I think at one point they even had he was walking through like a like a bonfire like a fire. pit. Yeah,
0: there's some great stuff where like, they'll drop logs and knock him over or beat the shit out of him with like baseball bats and he's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. But then it's like. Okay, so, but then there's like this scene where they like muddy up this field and it's like, he, he's like, I, I can't walk in this. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you got to get me out of here, guys. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's a film that I, I wish uh, more people, you know, uh, would spend time with. I, I, I think people would be really pleasantly surprised if they spend time with it. A, it's 75 minutes long. Just, yeah. wow, perfect.
1: Yeah, uh, right, exactly. It's
0: on YouTube um is
1: always good yeah Yeah. free
0: is always good so it's right there um but um it is but yeah you were talking about his his wife and his family and it is interesting because he had um the subject uh troy had um some things to say about um the production after the fact he was saying that you know a he didn't think it was a fair depiction of him and what he was doing oh
1: is that right yeah he yeah
0: yeah. (laughs) he he said that um you know um the production had like kind of uh, pressured him to go out in October when it was very unlikely that they would find grizzlies. And he knew that, but like he got pressured to do that. He also went on to say, Oh yeah. He created something called fire paste, which uh, he, if you go to his, his Wikipedia, there's like all sorts of stories of, of other things that he was working on inventing, which some of them just seemed like they were just like completely kooky and everything. So yeah, you know it's it's tough to say but like it's you know when he's he makes you're listening to this guy talk and you honestly the whole time I'm like how much rich kid energy am I getting here where like you are yeah. saying whatever reacting or just like and how much you know so and, and the film doesn't answer that but I think that's more interesting that it doesn't um he did die uh oh, did he? yeah he died uh just a few years ago in a uh just in, in glamorous car accident, I believe. Wow. Um, well, that's but, too bad. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. I was hoping, I, you know, I noticed at the end of the movie, they he, they make a point to say that he's, you know, working on the the Mark 8 or whatever yeah. the next, you know, and I always, I, I meant to go back and look to see, did this, did he ever have success? And that's something that's really interesting. You know, working in my field, um, we, we get a fair, we do a fair amount of media work. We get a, a fair amount of news stories. Usually it's cutesy stuff where we'll have, you know. Uh, a critically endangered animal that's uh we're able to get to successfully captive reproduce uh, which is always a big thing for us and and the the news you know the local news love to come out and do pieces on on things like that um you mentioned like you know the 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 pressure of of, of you know working with a production company mm-hmm. um you know that's oh, something working, i'm actually like, working out.
0: with a documentary
1: yeah a filmmaker, yeah and I, i've never i've never experienced i've never been part yeah. of a documentary but i did um before I started working at the zoo, I worked, um, there's an aquarium in the Mall of America Mm -hmm. and we, uh, filmed a pilot, uh, in my time there. I I started working there. I worked there for about five years before I started working at the zoo. Um, and remind me the, the gentleman who, uh, plays Freddy Krueger.
0: Oh, uh, Robert England.
1: Yeah. Robert England. So he, CBS was working on a reality TV show, um, starring Robert England, and they were going to call it nightmare on Elm street. And the premise of this show was going to be that each week they would take a new person who had some severe phobia and... (laughs) And they would, they would intentionally expose this person to the, to their phobia. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was hosted, hosted by Robert Englund uh, himself. I actually got to meet him.
0: Or a he, sick Americans in entertainment. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. He he was, he was amazing. He was so kind. You know, we mm-hmm. were very much told, um, you know, don't bother the the talent, mm-hmm. which I, is a pretty common thing. Um, I wasn't offended by that. That yeah, you know, yeah. seems like a pretty, yeah, professional. pretty common thing yeah. in, in, pr- in production. Um, so, uh, the, the, the premise, we ended up doing this, this, we were going to film the pilot for this reality show overnight at our aquarium. And the premise was that the gentleman that they brought in was, had this lifelong terror of sharks. And so we were going to, uh, you know, expose him to sharks in this aquarium that I worked in and, uh, the production group that was there, um, were awful. They were terrible to work with, you know, as a young aquarist, and really that's the just word. concerned with, Aquar- that's, yeah, so that's, if you're a, a zookeeper specifically of aquarium animals, mm-hmm. you're called an aquarist. Okay. Um, As a young aquarist. You know, my, my, so, yeah, my, I was a young aquarist. My only real concern was for the the well-being of our collection, mm-hmm. you know, um, the health and safety of our animals, even above the health and safety of, of the people that were involved in the production. So, my, my place in this production was, I was one of the scuba divers who was going to be in, in our shark exhibit, um, as we, you know, as this gentleman was was going to be, you know, I guess taking a dip in the, in the water, he was never going to be near any of our sharks. We were underwater in scuba gear with all of our shark guarding equipment, which is a pretty common thing. Um, if you work in an aquarium and you have to scuba dive in a shark exhibit, typically you have three or four people um, with equipment used to just distract the sharks away from whoever's actually doing the work that right. needs to be done. So that you're never, and you know, these sharks uh, aren't aggressive. The only We're just trying to prevent accidental encounters, things like that. It's not like the sharks are actively gonna stalk the scuba divers. Um, but if they're swimming where you're trying to work, you, you just kind of deflect them away from that area um, to avoid any, you know, bumping into them or, or something that could lead to, to an injury. Um, and yeah, they they were just really taking a lot of liberties. And um, the, for the, the gentleman himself, turns out wasn't really scared of sharks. Um, <laughs> I hope I'm not telling, like, you know, this was like in the, this was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, I don't
0: think any NDAs on this. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no,
1: exactly. Um, But it was awful. It was really awful. We were, you know, we were already keeping the lights on at night um, in our shark exhibit, which, you know, was kind of throwing off their schedule anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, uh, at one point we had, a uh, we were working with a number of their scuba divers, the production scuba divers as well, who had all the camera gear and stuff like that. And we had a, a number of underwater signals we could give each other to immediately cancel the dive if, if anything went wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, at one point, they actually had him jump into the water, which we were not told was going to happen. Oh, shit. Um, which then triggered all of our, at that point, very calmly swimming animals to kind of you know take off in, in fright, which is a, a pretty understandable response. Yeah. Um, they, they told us he was going to basically be like slipping gently into the water behind us, and he ended up jumping into the water. Um, and so I, I tried had made an attempt to cancel the dive because now all of our sharks are, are swimming very quickly and it made for a, a pretty unsafe environment. Yeah.
0: Chaotic. And I was
1: also very angry because we were, you know, this was above and beyond the stress that we were uh, going to be putting on these animals um, who um, you know, what were our primary concern. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and they, and they didn't want to, you know, so I made the signal that was supposed to be immediately recognized by everyone. And immediately we were supposed to get out of the water and the production cameraman just ignored it. So I actually at one point had to swim down and grab the cameraman by his scuba tank and pull him out of the exhibit, which (laughs) and at the time I'm sitting here, you know, I'm very early in my career. I know that this is the career I want to pursue. I'm very passionate about it. And I'm sitting here going, you know, and I ended up we we got out of the water and I just started yelling. And I was just so angry. And I'm in the back of my mind, I'm going I was I was probably twenty, I was twenty two or twenty-three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm thinking, I'm gonna get fired for this. You know, I, you know, uh the aquarium I work for, obviously, you know, we, we very much cared about these animals, um, but obviously, this was a, um, you know, a for-profit facility, yeah. which is is unlike the yeah. place I work now, which is very much uh, not-for-profit and conservation and, and mm-hmm. education-based. This was a a for-profit facility, and the staff that worked there were every bit as 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 um, you know, um, caring of these these animals in our care. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time, it was, but you know, you're 22. A, a you don't know
0: how to navigate that. Shit. Yeah, yeah. So, it's... I mean, I
1: think that's probably pretty common in a lot of fields. You start out, you know, you kind of have to pay your dues and, and yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, am, am I about to lose my first career job? Yeah. Um, and fortunately my, my, my supervisor at the time who was there, you know, everybody agreed with me. I didn't get in any any trouble at all, even though I screamed at, at a couple of the production managers. Um, but at that point, I didn't care. It was also like three o'clock in the morning. I was exhausted. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I I can kind of understand when I hear people, you know, obviously in 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 film and especially documentaries or reality TV, you know, there's very much an edit that goes into it, which can portray you really any way that they want. Yeah, to.
0: yeah, yeah.
1: And so I definitely kind of kind of understand. Um, and you know, the production people, they're not they're not there to care about the animals. They're there to get a product produced. I understand that as well. You know, it's I was very angry exciting. at the time. Yeah and I still would take my side in that argument but I also know that they're just there doing their job um, and it's not their job to care about yeah um, my feelings it's their job to make sure that they get the the product that they need um, but yeah just to repeat uh, Robert Englund himself who I did end up actually getting to meet um, he was wonderful he was charming he like you know diffused the whole situation at the end of the night he kind of came in and hung out with us a little bit and was very yeah very kind and very charming and seemed like a genuinely you know really nice human being
0: even though i was just talking about how you don't like uh horror films um that was actually a really great fucking story um uh hey uh let's uh let's jump into t2 yeah absolutely yeah um so yeah go ahead
1: um i you know I was so excited. This is the first movie I remember being super conscious of and being extremely excited for the release of, because at the time, you know, that was like, it was this huge movie. Everybody knew it was going to be this monster blockbuster. I was so excited because I loved Terminator. I love Predator. I loved Aliens. I was, it was in that same vein. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I didn't know who James Cameron was at the time, but you know, obviously I loved you know, the movies that he had made up to that point. Um, I have not sat, I hadn't sat down and watched Terminator two probably in 15 or 20 years. Okay. It's been a very long time. And I grinned like a stupid idiot the entire time <laughs> I watched this movie, Michael. I, yeah. I, I fucking love that movie. Yeah, And it's so, it's so early nineties. It's just classic. And I, yeah, I, like I said, I, and I found myself like repeating lines from it. Mm-hmm. And again, I haven't, I haven't seen this movie. Like when Edward Furlong, um, first discovers that he can control his terminator and you know he at first is like screaming for help and the the, the two mulleted or the one mulleted guy yeah. with the trans am comes running over to help him and and then he like flips the script on him real quick and he's like did you call moi a dipshit <laughs> i mean, i'm like sitting here like i'm just laughing yeah. i'm like slapping the couch <laughs> i'm grinning i'm like the whole thing was amazing. I hadn't seen it forever. I yeah. forgot how much of an absolute fucking badass Linda Hamilton is in that uh-huh.
0: movie. No, she's great. And
1: especially the, the difference between, you know, Linda Hamilton, Terminator 1 versus Linda Hamilton, Terminator 2, yeah. and the work that she put in to, to advancing that character. Um, you know, I found myself thinking of Aliens a lot while I was watching it, too. Like how so? You know, just there were so many awesome kind of badass uh, female sci-fi movie leads in that era, um, you know, I grew up. Sigourney Weaver was like my hero. Um, you know, and Vasquez in Aliens, mm-hmm. um, just such a badass. And you know, Linda Hamilton in T two especially. Um, yeah, just that opening scene where you kind of first encounter her, where she's got her bed flipped up and she's doing pull ups, and I'm like, yeah, she's an absolute. absolute yeah, she'll
0: badass. she'll she'll snap your neck.
1: Yeah. So that was, I just got to say like the whole experience of rewatching it for the first time in many years. And I've probably seen it, you know, a dozen times in my life, but it'd been, you know, probably since my early twenties or my late teenage years, since I've made a, a, a effort to sit down and actually watch it. Um,
0: let's, 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 let's just jump into this. What, uh, yeah. do, are any of these films better than Terminator 2? That was a very enthusiastic response.
1: Ooh, yeah. Um. I'm just gonna say no. I would okay. say the the closest, at least in my mind, the the closest would be the thing. Okay. Um, as far as that goes, um, no, I would say Terminator Two um, is the best of the the best. What's of the lot. what's
0: the thing doing that uh that that's like um, like peaking that for you? Like what what what's the thing doing that's making it something that it like gets closest?
1: I think the just the the action scenes. Um, I guess the, the sci-fi, uh, you know, the, the movie effects, mm-hmm. I guess, um, they're
0: strong or, images and you know, well in both of them
1: in both films. Yeah. Like the, the scene and the thing that stands out to me, I guess one of the, one of the strongest standout scenes to me is when, and I don't remember which character it is, but when one of the gentlemen's uh, who's been infected now by the thing and his head completely removes and then sprouts legs and runs away. Yeah. Yeah. You know, i I love that scene. I thought that was great. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'd say, you know, the thing just in in the, as a sheer enjoyable kind of action thriller movie, um, you know, there's, there's an element in both movies of kind of self-sacrifice for the greater good. Um, you know, and obviously in, in, in T2, it's the, it's a machine that's making that sacrifice. And as an adult, I'm watching it, you know, and, and, and at that, the scene at the end when Arnold is being lowered into the, the vat of molten Mm -hmm. metal, um, you know, as a kid I remember like it's just heartbreaking. It's absolutely like, no, he doesn't have to go. Yeah. You know, I felt like I felt like uh, Edward Furlong in that scene where he's like raging against, you know, the inevitable. Um and but you know, but as an adult watching it going, Yeah, it's it's a computer, so it's not as big as <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs>
0: also there'll be like 10 more of these films so like yeah of course right but then you know watching the none of them will be good but they're they're,
1: (laughs) yeah and watching the thing where like and and they you know they they did what good scientists would do when they realized like hey we can never let this thing get into the greater world our lives are nothing in comparison um yeah i i I really enjoyed it you know one thing that i i wanted to actually talk to you about that came that jumped into my mind as i was watching t2 um the gentleman who plays miles dyson yeah uh joe morton I was, as I was watching, I'm like, why is he so, you know, I was trying to remember what I knew him from. Like, it was clear to my mind that I knew him from something other than T2. Um, and then it, it, it jarred this like early childhood memory. Um, you know, growing up in Nevada city, California um, at the same time as, as you guys were all living out in San Jose, we had this small theater called the magic theater, which was amazing. It was this room fire marshal's worst nightmare. Um, it was a big room filled with overstuffed, you know, mismatched couches. And they would screen movies that were typically, you know, cult classics and things like that. And I used to go there, some of my kind of fonder childhood memories are going there with my parents and and watching, um, you know, some of these kind of obscure, I guess, movies, or, or maybe, you know, it wasn't mainstream releases very often. And, you know, you go pay 25 cents for a thing of popcorn, find your favorite overstuffed armchair, and then they'd, they'd show these movies. Yeah. And I remember uh, at the Magic Theater watching Brother From Another Planet. Mm. Have you seen that? I've never seen that. Okay, um, I just I, I haven't. I know he's he's
0: he's the he's the brother.
1: He's he's the brother. He's the brother from another planet. So that's like a like an early '80s sci-fi movie yeah, that John I remember Sales watching film. at the magic. Yeah, I remember watching at the magic theater, and that really it just jarred boosts that that kind of early childhood memory, and and that makes me actually really want to go. I think I will at some point have to rewatch um, Brother from Another Planet. You know,
0: I feel like uh, tonally that's probably a nice like uh, way to like uh get off of this like hyper masculine
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah because that's like you know it's a sci-fi movie but it's a it's the polar opposite yeah but the the level of
0: testosterone is uh is drooping (laughs) yeah and i don't
1: i don't remember a lot of you know um details about that movie because again i saw it once as a child but i do remember the the feel that it gave me and i loved it as a kid because here's
0: the feel that it gave you
1: it 's very much like a, a sensitive, confused alien who 's just trying to understand people mm-hmm. and um, like i said I don't i don 't remember a lot of the main plot points or no, no, no. or yeah. the, the, the the lesson that the movie's trying to convey, but I remember it 's this it 's more of like a, um, a an alien who takes a, a human form and then just tries to understand i believe he, i believe it's, it takes place in New York yeah. City if I remember and uh you know er, the the new york city of the late 70s early 80s which is not the the shiny happy place of course that it is today um and i remember it being kind of like a, a, having a more melancholy feel to it yeah uh, but definitely it's it's not an action movie um in in that it's not like a big sci-fi production but
0: um that's a sweet note to end on yeah. um yeah so Matthew, what, what about you? What do you? Oh.
1: Is there any any movies on on that list that you thought were better than? Oh, 2 Um
0: You know, I started uh, when I first started doing this. I, I, I uh, this podcast. I, I, always felt like I needed to jump in on this, but I find sometimes that like people like I, when I get to the point where I'm, I'm like, I don't give a shit what I yeah. think. But um, I was going to say that I would rule that. Um, I, I'm at this point with like action movies. Uh, and especially Terminator Two, partly because I'm doing this show, um, where like I I found my place for them, and it's not that I don't like them; it's just that they're not that significant. They, they're not piercing for me, and right, right, right. and I um, I would say that um, absolutely. I was going to say that Project Grizzly is far more interesting to me now and mm-hmm. um good and then you told me that story and now i'm like yeah i don't know like there's just so much ambiguity i might actually hate the guy who made this film but it's a good <laughs> film i don't know i have to think about it. you know yeah. fuck it um i would say that project brisley is a better film than terminator
1: okay I'm yeah and out. that's fair. it's fair to like you know if you asked you know 10 year old michael and showed him both movies yeah he would dude, fuck he would be michael. bored he doesn't know what he, he didn't know what
0: he was talking about
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. So, and maybe, you know, uh, we'll have to, like when we're 80, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Be that'll be the to, real to question. Live? Right. Should we be lucky enough to live that long? Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll have to revisit it and see what our thoughts are again.
0: Matthew, it's been lovely having you on. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you for having me. Hasta yeah. la vista.